Today on Simple Truths, Pastor Xavier Reese says, discerning the voice of God requires faith. We like the pluses, but when we have to step out in faith and trust God, oh, all of a sudden I can't discern God's voice. Like the guy that went over the cliff, grasping for things, and he's hanging on there, he gets a hold of this little branch, and he's yelling for somebody, help, help. Nobody, nothing up there, and all of a sudden he hears a voice says, let go. Looks down, he says, is there anybody else up there? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. When Alexander Graham Bell first invented the telephone, it must have seemed like nothing short of a miracle to hear the voice of someone speaking from a location some distance away. Well, Pastor Xavier says the simple truth is that when God reveals Himself to us through the discernment of the Holy Spirit, it is nothing short of a miracle. Let's join him for today's study titled, Jesus is God's Revelation to Man. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 27. One of the most difficult things in our lives is the ability to discern when God is speaking to us. That may shock you. Because somehow in the church we're always kind of taught indirectly that as we move on in life, we learn to discern the voice much clearer. But I have to confess to you as your pastor that one of the most difficult times and things that I have in my life is to discern the voice of God. Now, the only protection that I have is to always check it against the Word. We know that absolutely. But I don't always know when God is talking to me. Now, there are some people... We're always saying that God speaks to them. In reality, it's just their own imagination. They want to appear spiritual. Then there are others who speak in supposedly apostolic authority, and they equate their revelation on the same par with Scripture. Well, I hope you know that's wrong. But here we have a true case from the Scriptures, not from testimonies, not from church experience, but from the scriptures, the difficulty of discerning the voice of God. And as I said, the only thing I can do when I feel God speaking to me is first go to the Word, run it through the Word, and say, does this line itself up with the Word? If it's obvious that it doesn't, then I don't even have to go any further. But then there's sometimes when God speaks to me in terms of direction for my life, and though I check all the boundaries in the scriptures, there's nothing really that goes against Scripture, but I still don't know, so I have to wait on the Lord to see if it's Him. And time proves it out. Even as He told the children of Israel, you know, walk through the Jordan on flood season. <laughs> flood season? He says, Lord, can't you part it just like you did the Red Sea and then we'll walk through? He says, no, I want your foot to stand in this time. See, God trains me. First He tells me, hey, watch, I'll part it walk through then the next time he says, hey, step into it, and then it'll part. Ooh. <laughs> Lord, is that really you? Soon God says, I want to give you $1,000. Oh, yeah, that's the Lord. I don't even question him. But then he says, step into the Jordan. I say, Lord, is that really you? <laughs> it's like the guy that went over the cliff, you know. He went over the cliff and he was grasping for things, and he's hanging on there. He gets a hold of this little branch. 
And he's yelling for somebody, help, help. Nobody, nothing up there. And all of a sudden he keeps yelling and somebody, and he hears a voice, says, let go. He looks down. He says, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> That's how we are with God sometimes. We like the pluses, but when we have to step out in faith and trust God, oh, all of a sudden I can't discern God's voice. Let me give you three things before we read this passage and move through it. Number one, revelation has to do with disclosing or disclosure of what was previously unknown but now revealed by God regarding God, Satan, man, sin, salvation, and so on. Revelation is God's disclosure of something that was previously hid. We would never know the accurate truth about it unless God revealed it. That's why the Bible is unique. You can count on it 100%. It's truth. That's what revelation is. Particularly, special revelation has to do with the scriptures. General revelation has to do with creation and your conscience. From creation and conscience, you're without excuse. You know there's a God. Special revelation is the scriptures. What God has revealed about himself. There's another big word that is thrown around around the church and theological circles, and that is inspiration. Remember, inspiration, not perspiration. A lot that goes on in the churches is perspiration. We're trying to root up, get people going. Come on, you can do it, come on. Build up their faith and all that. No. God's got to do the work. Inspiration has to do with the supernatural anointing on a person by the Holy Spirit to ensure the trustworthiness and the authority of the recorded writings of God's revelation. Nobody's alive today like that. Only the apostles. In other words, God does not speak through me in the same inerrant, infallible way that he did through the apostles. I have to run it through the word. I have to go through the word. Okay? When somebody tells you that they speak ex-cathedral, like the Catholic Church says, that they, what they say is absolutely true, then get out. The boundaries is the word of God. And so... 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 through 21 tells us that men of old were carried along by the Spirit of God and they did not speak out of their own impulse, but they spoke as the Holy Spirit carried them and they recorded the Scriptures. So inspiration has to do with the recording of the Scriptures that what we have is accurate, true, infallible, without error. Now, listen to me. Inerrant and infallible in its original Scriptures. We do not have the originals. The mistakes that we find in it are so small, so minute, we don't have the time for manuscript evidence this morning, but if you study it, it does not change the sense of the text. So sometimes I say, well, this is not in the, the Sinaiticus, the Vaticanus, the Alexandrian, the Codex, uh, and all, the, all kinds of different things. Don't worry about all that. The variations are so minute that it never changes the sense or the meaning of any text in the Bible. Okay? So you don't have to worry about that. Everything in here is accurate and infallible. Now, not everything that's recorded, though, in the Bible is God's accurate, revealed truth for us. What I mean by that is this. Everything that you find in here is accurately recorded as it was stated. But it does not mean that it is God's revelation of truth for life for us. In other words, Satan says, has God said, 
You shall not surely die. That's an accurate statement of what he said. But it's not truth. You understand the difference? And so how do I determine when it's truth for my life? I have to study the context. Who's speaking? This way I don't pull something out of context. And I use it as a pretext to get my agenda done. Okay? You have to study the context. And so you have revelation, inspiration. Then you have one more. You need to know this before we get into the study. Illumination. Illumination has to do with the person of the Holy Spirit, His work to give you understanding and wisdom to open up the Scriptures to you. You cannot come by your own natural mind. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, the, the things of the Spirit to the natural mind are foolishness. He cannot discern them. It's by the Spirit of God that we understand the Word of God. That you and I can open the Bible this morning and sit here and have God minister to us and say amen and understand it. That is a miracle of God. God the Holy Spirit does that. Now, He uses your brain, but He doesn't depend upon it. You understand me? <laughs> it's like education. Go get all you can, but God help you if you depend upon it. It is God's Spirit of God that lets us know and understand the things of God. It's never my intellectual abilities. It's never my education. The only qualifications that I have to stand behind this pulpit is that God has called me and God has anointed me, not the education I have. The education may help me, but it doesn't qualify me. You understand the difference? So you can have all the diplomas you want to wallpaper this whole auditorium. No Greek, Hebrew, upwards and backwards and inside out and everything else. And if you're not anointed and called, I won't sit under you. I would rather sit under a man who has no degrees, no Greek, no Hebrew. He's been called and anointed by God. I can learn more from him than I can from you. Because he's been called, he's been anointed. It's 100% God. Let me read the text. We want to look at chapter 16, verses 13 through 27, where we get three types of revelation. Revelation from heaven, verses 13 through 20. Revelation from hell, verses 21 through 23. And revelation from earth, 24 through 27. Let me read them. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus, the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and, he, and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what 
is a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angel, and then he will reward each according to his works. Now, notice that all these Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, all these religious people that have nothing in common have united together under the common hatred of Jesus. Hatred has some strange bedfellows. And Jesus is going to make a break from the religious and the political agenda of the day. And now he's going to turn to dedicate himself to his disciples because he said it to Jerusalem. He's walking under the shadow of the cross. From this point, after Caesarea Philippi, Jesus never mentions his death without his resurrection. Not one time does he ever exclude the resurrection. But the disciples never, ever heard it. Or let me rephrase that. They never believed it. It didn't fit in their mind. It wasn't in their agenda. God was not supposed to work that way. In verses 13 through 20, we get the revelation from heaven. The setting is at Caesarea Philippi. It's 25 miles north uh, east of the Sea of Galilee. And it's at the foot of Mount Hermon, a gigantic stone. From there, it's one of the headwaters of the Jordan River. And it gushes forth out of there. Hermon is beautiful. It has snow all year round. When we went, it was just totally white. It's beautiful there. It was also the site of temples of Baal from the Assyrians. It was a pagan locality. In a cave there, it was believed that it was the birthplace of the god Pan, the god of nature. We get our word pantheism. Everything is God. God is everything. He's a very key God through man's history. It is in this locality that the legends of the gods of Greece gather around Caesarea. What a strategic place for Jesus to take his disciples and ask such a question where all these gods were king and they worshiped there. Now, there was a temple built to Caesar, to his godhead, out of white marble there. And later, Philip, Herod's son, beautified it and changed the name of it to Caesarea Philippi to distinguish it from Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast. Caesarea is up north. To distinguish it. The question is important. Who do men say that I am? But notice that he says, who do they say the Son of Man? Here Jesus emphasizes his humanity. They're looking at me and I am a man. And they see me as a man. Who do they say I am as they see me as a man? Very important question. He says, some say John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 40, verse 3. Remember, John the Baptist had been beheaded. Herod thought that he had resurrected. Others say Elijah. Remember, Elijah never died. He was also the promised forerunner before the day of the Lord in Malachi 4, 5. They were looking for him. Others said Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. Tradition says that he hid the Ark of the Covenant before the destruction of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. 
and that he would appear in the last days. This is tradition, not scripture. And that he would appear in the last day and bring the Ark of the Covenant. It's interesting, in the Wailing Wall, they pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for the Ark of the Covenant, and for the Temple. All the time. What a tremendous find that would be if the Ark could be found. But then again, it would probably be an object of worship, wouldn't it? Because we're so pagan. We're so idolatrous. Others says that prophet. What prophet is he talking about? The prophet in Deuteronomy 18. Well, who is that prophetic of? Of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Moses says, there will be a prophet that God will raise up, like unto me, and you have to obey his word. If you don't, God will get you. Paraphrase. <laughs> <laughs> so man had great opinions about who Jesus was. As a matter of fact, one time in John 18, 33-34, when Jesus was before Pilate, Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus turned to him and said, are you speaking this of yourself? Or did someone else tell you this about me? <laughs> Can you be taken back by that? <laughs> Here you're judging this guy, and he says, are you saying this about yourself, or did somebody else tell you this about me? You see, you may have an opinion about who Jesus is. You may say he's a prophet. You may say he's a good teacher. You may say he's a moral man. But if you fall short of him being God, then you've missed the mark. You're absolutely wrong. Now, he's in good company. Elijah, John the Baptist, Jeremiah. Man, godly men. But he's more than a godly man. He's a God man. Not 50-50 bar, God plus man. But the God man. 100% God, 100% man. Oh, how can that be? I don't know, but I'm glad it can. There's another question in verses 15 and 16. The question about who they, the disciples, said he was. Peter is the spokesman, as usually the case is. But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. First of all, Peter says, You are the long-awaited Messiah the Son of the living God, the Christ. The word Christ is anointed, equivalent to the Hebrew, Messiah. You're the one we've been looking for all along. We know who you are. Remember, it's been three years. They've seen all the miracles, everything else. They've just been rebuked because they thought that they forgot bread. <laughs> he just fed 5,000, 4,000. He says, you're the long way to Messiah. Secondly, he says, you're the Son of God who became man. Because notice what he says there. The Son of the living God. He already said before himself, the Son of Man in verse 13. He already established his humanity. Now, Peter says, you're the Son of the living God. So that means you're not only the long way to the Messiah, but you are the Messiah who has become man. You're the God-man. You're the one that stands between God and man. The mediator. The go-between. Job puts it this way. You're the umpire. <laughs> they can lay his hand on us both. Man and God. Living also in contrast to the, all those dead pagan gods that were around Caesarea Philippi. 
All these gods and temples, Lord, they're dead. You, you're living. You can do something for man. They can do nothing. Notice as he moves to verse 17 through 19, we get the proclamation of Jesus to Peter. Now, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Let's take that first. Peter, this was by divine revelation and illumination, not human intellect or wisdom. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for him. And he moves on to say how only man can know the things of God by the Spirit of God, and man knows the Spirit of man because he's a man, but the Spirit of man, as he thinks on the things of God, they are foolishness to him. But he finishes off by saying, but we have the mind of Christ. And they are freely given to us by the Spirit of God. And so Jesus says, Peter, this was a divine revelation and illumination. Next, Jesus says, And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Secondly, listen well, Peter. My Father revealed it to you. Special revelation. Not your intellect. Not flesh and blood. You're Simon Bar-Jonah. You have an earthly father. He didn't even reveal it to you, but my father. <laughs> Interesting he said that. Did you catch that? He said, blessed are Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah. But your father didn't reveal this. My father revealed it. It's a play on words. The second thing he says, Peter, you are Petros, which means small stone. But on this Petra, massive rock, that I am the son of the living God, I will build my church. That's what verse 18 says. You've got one of two choices. Either Peter is the rock of the church or Jesus is the rock. Or the statement that Peter said about Jesus. You've got no other choices. If Peter is the rock of the church, we're in trouble, as we'll see shortly. The Greek makes it very, very clear. The rock is the very statement that he is the son of the living God. And that's the basis by which God will build His church. His church is the called out ones. Ek out. Kaleo to call. Those who are called out of the world by God to be His people who are renewed, repented, and being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Not the building. Not churchgoers. Not religious people. But people that are saved by grace and they are being transformed from day to day to glory to glory by the Spirit of God. Peter is not the rock. Psalm 18.31, For who is God save the Lord, or who is a rock save our God? Ephesians 2.20 says that we are built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Christ being the chief cornerstone. Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3.11 that no other foundation can any man lay outside of Jesus Christ. It's pretty clear through Scripture who the rock is. Acts 4.12 says there's no other name given under heaven and earth whereby we must be saved. Not can be saved, must be saved. There's a difference. What should we say to 1 Timothy 2.5 where it says there's one man between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, one mediator. That's a go-between. Mary's out, Peter's out, Andrew's out, James's out, St. Jude's out, and everybody else is out. Only Jesus. 
one go-between. Job puts it, one umpire in the game, and his name is Jesus. No one else. Pastor Xavier Reese, illustrating for us the divine revelation to Peter, the first of three revelations from God to us. And he'll be completing this study on our next program, so I hope you'll be back then. Copies of today's study are available on CD for just $4. And if you'd like to request one for yourself or someone that you know who might like to hear it, the title to ask for is Jesus is God's Revelation to Man, or simply mention today's date. Now that title once again is Jesus is God's Revelation to Man. And here's our address. Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station when you contact us. Discerning when God is speaking to us can be a difficult thing for any Christian. Join Pastor Xavier Reese next time for the rest of this important study and more simple truths of just how God reveals Himself. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com